It's good to be here this morning, and it's uh, good to see each and every one of you today. It's nice to feel like we're actually having a fall weather day after uh, the war zone that uh, was caused last week. Uh, we hope that you're blessed, that you're doing well. Uh, I will tell you as a speaker, uh, one of my greatest difficulties as a speaker, as I'm sure it is for many of you who, who get up here and speak, uh, it's hard for me to come up with just the right subject at times. And you look at uh, yourself and you look at the congregation and you try to figure out what do we need right now. Um, and that can be difficult. But I'll tell you, this week it wasn't that hard for me to do that. Uh, because after just looking at the year and looking at things uh, that I think we've all experienced, I will tell you, this has been the longest year of my life. You know what? This year is still going to be 365 days. <laughs> but it's felt long, hasn't it? Everything's been different. Everything has changed. Uh, and I will tell you, for my wife, it's very different because she's used to me being gone about 100 days out of the year. And so you can rest assured, it has been the longest year of her life <laughs> because uh, things have just been different. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to piggyback off, off of some things we've talked about in the past. And a couple of months ago, uh, we, talk about, we talked about taking up our cross. And one of the things we talked about in that lesson was a cross of suffering, a cross of, uh, of shame. We talked about a cross of difficulty. And today, uh, we're going to talk about the subject of patience. And there will be some things that will be familiar to you uh, from this lesson uh, as I've said before, I tell stories in a lot of different places, so if you've heard all my stories, I'm sorry. They're all I've got, so uh, you'll hear, you might hear some familiar stories. But I want to think about uh, patience for a little bit this morning because here's a reality. This year has tested our patience, every one of us. And everybody's situation looks differently. The battles that they're facing are different. The reason why your patience has been tested is different than my reason, but the truth is every single person in here needs patience. And it's one of those things that we often pray for that we probably ought to be real careful about uh, because God is not just going to take a vial and pop a lid off and go, well, you need patience, I'm just going to dump it on your head. Patience comes uh, through a little bit different method, a little bit different mode, and when we look at patience, I think most of us probably think about Job. It's just a, a go-to thought that comes when you think about patience because the Bible uh, really puts Job, uh, not on a pedestal ne necessarily, but puts him on a platform at least for us to look at his life and look at the things that happened in his life and learn about patience. And even... Thousands of years later, literally thousands of years later, we have James writing about Job and his patience. And he says this, take my brethren the prophets. When he says take my brethren, what he's saying is let's stop and take a look at the prophets for a moment. Because they have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So I want to think about three words that are used here, and the two that are highlighted in blue are very similar words in the Greek, and the red word is a little bit different. But they all have similar meanings. Uh, but let's talk about the difference for a moment. 
This idea of suffering, example of suffer, uh, I'm sorry, an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Uh, that word patience has the idea of long suffering. Okay, so think about the word long suffering. What does it imply? Suffering for a long time. That's literally what the word long suffering means. Suffering for a long time, and you know that's a part of life. It's something that we deal with. But he's not just saying, hey, let's just look at Job and let's glorify Job in the eyes of man because he suffered a lot. That's not the reason Job's being brought up here. But he says this, and this is where I think it gets a little bit more difficult to swallow. He says, behold, we count them happy which endure. Now, let's talk about Job for a minute. Job chapter 1, we're introduced to this character, uh, Job, and we're also introduced for the first time to a character named Satan. That name is not mentioned up until this point in Job's story where he's given a name, Satan. And we read about this character who comes against Job and afflicts him in ways that most of us can't even imagine. I mean, I want you to think for just a moment that you're the king of the land of us. Everybody looks to you. You have a good relationship with your people. You have a good relationship with your wife. You've got ten children. You're rich. Everything's going good. And then in just a few moments, your entire world is turned upside down. A servant comes to you and he says, hey, these people have come in, these raiders have come in. They've stolen your livestock and they killed all your servants and I'm the only one left. And Job is trying to, to grasp this situation. And in the midst of him trying to grasp it, someone else comes to him and says, hey, guess what just happened? And now he's trying to grasp another situation. And then while he's trying to grasp that situation, somebody else comes to him while this guy's still speaking and says, hey, by the way. And then finally someone comes to him while he's trying to grasp that situation and says, Job, all of your children were together. And you know Job had to know it was coming. And he's hit with the hardest news that he could be hit with, and that is all of your kids have died. You know what? Life gets hard, but it's not done. And so Satan is not satisfied with this amount of tribulation that he brought upon God's servant Job, and so he brings more tribulation, and he comes and he afflicts him with this terrible disease. And I don't know exactly what the sickness is. There's a lot of scholars who have different ideas about that. But I'll tell you, what the Bible tells us is his body was covered from head to toe in sores, boils. Okay, uh, He was so covered in this, when his friends got there, he was unrecognizable. He just he looked terrible. And in, in the midst of this disease, whatever it is, he describes it as though he has a fever every night and he wakes up in the night hoping for the morning. And during the day, he's waiting for night so he can try to get sleep again. And it's just a vicious cycle of this suffering that he's going through. And oh, by the way, his wife is now looking at him going, you're pathetic. I can't stand to look at you. What are you still doing alive? Just curse God and die already. Now, Let's look at that statement again. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Okay, we're talking about Job here. Do you think that 
as Job was going through this and his four friends are there trying to support him with all their accusations that Job could have looked at you and said, you know what, I'm so happy right now. No. And here's the thing. Patience is not about just waiting. You know, just because you wait for something doesn't mean you're patient. I mean, we use it that way. Sometimes, you know, the kids will come in and try to grab food before everybody's ready to eat. And we say, you need to be patient. We're saying you need to wait. But the biblical idea of patience, the reason why Job is put on a platform is not because he survived the things that happened, but because of the way he survived the things that happened. And I'll tell you, there's one statement in the book of Job that jumps off the page to me. And that's when Job says this, If God kills me, I will trust him anyway. That's patience. He didn't understand what was going on. He didn't want what was going on. But what he did know is this, no matter what's going on, my eyes are toward the Lord and I will trust him. That is patience. That is what Job was able to do in the midst of his struggle. And here's the thing. As I said, we all need patience. But let's talk about patience for a moment. And we're just going to revisit this because I think we know this and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But Paul writing in Romans 5 says, Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, whereas the New King James says it produces patience or perseverance. And I want to just ask you a question real quick. Y'all know I like questions, so bear with me. Uh, tribulation produces patience. Does all tribulation produce patience? No, it doesn't. And that's not the point here. The point is patience is formed by tribulation. But not all tribulation produces patience, and here's why. Sometimes we do things that are just foolish, okay? And we experience tribulation as a result of our foolishness. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Now, can we learn through that? Yes, but that's not Paul's point. That's not what he's talking about. There's another thing we need to think about, a reason why tribulation often doesn't produce patience, and that's this. Solomon said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, Here's, here's a vicious cycle that happens. Uh, people that are living in sin and are out in the world and are making foolish decisions are often experiencing tribulation, okay? But for some reason, that tribulation never builds within, within them character and patience and wisdom and learning. Why is that? Because they hate it. They hate the learning. They hate the wisdom. They're more worried about the foolishness. They're involved in the foolishness. And here's the difference in whether or not patience will produce patience. Uh, I'm sorry, that makes no sense. Tribulation produces patience. It's all about what you're doing during the tribulation. And that's why he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we don't seek God during tribulation, don't expect to gain patience. That's the difference between Job and people that the Bible doesn't write about that were patient, that we read about in Scripture who weren't patient, who did not endure, is they didn't seek God. And oftentimes when life is just 
topsy-turvy, when everything is upside down, what we start doing is asking questions. We start seeking after answers. You know, why does this happen? How could God let this happen to me? We ask a lot of questions, and what we need to do instead of seeking those answers is seeking the Lord. That's what we have to do. We have to seek the Lord. And we're going to talk about that some as we uh, talk about this passage in Romans 5 a little bit. Because one of the things that Paul connects here is not just that tribulation works patience, but that patience also works experience, and experience works hope. And here's the thing about hope. Sometimes situations lead us to a state of hopelessness. And what Paul is reminding us of here is, is that hope is always there. We just have to recognize it. And oftentimes when tribulation comes, it wakes us up and it draws us away. And then all of a sudden those songs that we sing, like this world is not my home, is no longer just a song. It's a realization. And we start to think about God and who God is. But, but if we don't do that, then other things happen. And he says this in the, in the next verse. Hope maketh not ashamed. Hope maketh not ashamed. Let's just uh, settle on that for a moment. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer says that by two immutable things, uh, immutable means things that, that are certain, they're absolute, they can't change. They can't change. And, and here's one of those things that can't change. Uh, God cannot lie. That can't change. He's incapable of lying. And he says, it's impossible for God to lie. And because of that, he says, we might have a strong consolation. And what that means is, we can take great comfort in the fact that God keeps his promises. That he cannot lie. Now, notice this statement. Who's he talking to? He says, those of us who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Okay, what do you think of when you read the word refuge? Uh, my mind is always brought toward different situations. And like I said, stories, sorry, y'all may have heard this. But uh, something that I think about uh, is back when I was a kid, I used to help dad roof houses. And I will tell you, we did a lot of different things in construction work. And there were two things I hated more than anything. One was doing flat work, doing concrete work. And the other was roofing houses. And when you're a 12 or 13-year-old boy, <laughs> any excuse to not roof a house is a good excuse. And so we had a day where we were, we were out on Red, at Red Dukes' house in Allison, Texas, which is on the far west side of town. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that is because when you're on the far west side of town in Allison, Texas, that means everything to the west is visible, Okay. So the whole time I'm roofing, we're on the east side of the house looking west, and I start seeing thunderheads pop up. And I'm like, this is a good day because <laughs> we are not going to be on this roof all day. I guarantee it. But, you know, I didn't realize how far away those thunderheads were. They looked massive, but they're they a long ways away. So the whole time we're roofing, you know, I'm trying to distract Dad. And I'm going, hey, you see those storms back there? And he's like, yeah, I see them. Keep roofing. So we're roofing. And they're getting closer, and they're getting bigger. And I'm like, Dad. And he's like, I see them. Keep roofing. 
And pretty soon, I see lightning start to come down like, all right, we're getting off the roof soon. Well, we're not getting off the roof, you know. We're, we're nearly about three-fourths of the way up the roof, and I know what Dad's doing because I know my father, okay. He is thinking, we can get this side of the roof done and dried in before that hits. So we're, we're, we're roofing and we're working. Well, all of a sudden, it starts raining, and I'm like, okay, now we're crazy. I mean, what are we doing up here? And Dad's like, just, just keep going, okay? It's okay. Well, then it started to hell. And guess what Dad said? Get off the roof. Okay. So th- I get it now. Then I th- just thought, my dad's insane. I mean, he just, <laughs> he's more worried about this than he is. Uh, but, you know, the truth is, he understood that there was a part of that storm that might have seemed dangerous. And then there's a part of that storm where you really don't have a choice. So we got off the roof and we ran in the house. What we literally did was we fled for refuge. And that's what I want us to think about. You know, storms are different. And when we moved to East Texas, uh, the first thing we realized about East Texas is it rains all the time. And for about a month and a half, we were enamored with that. I mean, we thought, this is cool. <laughs> Because we're from here, you know. We don't see that kind of rain. And, and then after a while, it's like, is it ever going to stop raining? And then after a few months, we're like, we're living in Seattle. I mean, this is terrible. You know, where's the sun? We, and it, was, it wasn't like it was dangerous. The storms weren't dangerous. But after a while, even those small inconveniences that are coming down slowly but, but steadily can wear on a person. But there's other kinds of storms that happen where it comes in quick and it grabs you by the feet and it throws you on the ground. And the question is this, when those happen, where do you take cover? I want you to really think about that. When life hits you and something bad happens, what is your gut level reaction? I'll tell you what Job's was. Job just found out he lost all of his wealth and his kids were dead. And Job threw ashes on himself, ripped his clothes, and he praised God. That's what Job did. And that's tough. But I'll tell you, people have a lot of different refuges. You know what some people do? They crawl in a bottle. And I'll tell you, that's a tough place to take shelter. Tough place. Because I tell you, there's no hope in there. Some people, they distract themselves. You know what? I've been one of those people. Sometimes I'm still one of those people. Do you ever do that? It just feels like it won't stop raining. And what do you do? You find a distraction to take your mind off of it. You do this or that. That's your refuge. But I'll tell you, there's one refuge, just one, that we need. And that is the immutable, unchangeable, faithful promises of God. That's the refuge. And that's what the Hebrew writer says here. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. I'll tell you, that anchor, it goes deep in the ground. And when the storms come in, they try to sweep you off your feet, you're anchored. You don't get taken with the storm. But I'll tell you what you got to do to get there. When the storm's coming, seek God. 
don't stay on the roof. <laughs> get off the roof. Get in the refuge. You say, well, I don't know what you mean. Seek God. Yeah, you do. Because we talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time. What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to, to seek refuge? Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Basically, what Paul is saying is, life is rough right now, and we're going through some tough things. And he said, the sufferings of this present, we're suffering right now, but he said, if we could just peel back the curtain, and we could get a glimpse into heaven... What will we see? We would see the glory that is awaiting us. And he said, if we could see the glory, we would understand that it outweighs the suffering. That's what he means by fleeing for refuge, by putting your mind and your heart and anchoring them in the promises of God, is to know things really will get better if we seek God. I'll tell you, this is the hard one to swallow for me, is that patience is commanded, it's not suggested. I forget that. <laughs> I think sometimes I will pat myself on the back for being patient. Like, I did some great thing, you know. I didn't yell at the person in front of me <laughs> at, the, at the line in Walmart for, you know, acting however they're acting. So, good on me, I was patient. There's just small things I think sometimes that we recognize. I don't really get feelings about yelling at people, by the way, at Walmart uh, anymore. <laughs> but you know how life is. You're inconvenienced and, and you're fighting these small battles. But then there's these big battles that you're fighting. And, and God is looking down and he's not just crediting us every single time we're patient. God expects us to be patient. He expects it to be part of our character. Um. And I'll tell you where you can learn this is running a restaurant. Uh, when we ran a restaurant, all I saw was impatient people all day. And here's what's interesting. We're in a place that's comfortable, that's climate controlled, paying someone else to fix food for us because we don't have to, and yet we're mad at them because it took 15 minutes. What does that say about us? <laughs> And then we're up, well, if it didn't take 15 minutes, it took 20 minutes, well, I'm going to give you a bad tip. Is that patience? No. I'll tell you, because this is patience. It is that we do what God wills for us to do, and we're the kind of people that God wants us to be in spite of the inconveniences that happen in our life. Be a big tipper, Okay? Not because the waitress was the greatest waitress in the world or waiter, whoever that is, but because you're a child of God and God's people give. Don't respond to people and think we can just react in some way because we've decided in our mind it's okay. What we're called to do is to do the will of God despite the circumstances. That's patience. And he said, don't think it's strange Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Here's the reality. If you do the right thing, you're going to suffer. If you do the right thing. And that's hard for us, isn't it? To wrap our minds around. That I did the right thing, and I suffered for doing the right thing. And he says, don't think that's strange. 
That's how life is. So let's think about Jesus. Because long-suffering implies a willingness to suffer. Jesus was willing to suffer. And he says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So one of the things that he points out here is that life is an endurance race and that Jesus endured. And I want to think about endurance races for just a minute. Um, you know, I ran cross country in school and uh, I was never excited about running cross country. In fact, I hated cross country and I always thought people that liked it were strange, but I get it now. Um, but I remember running one race with all of my might, you might say. I mean, I really tried to run and I, I don't know, I came in like 10th or 11th place. Uh, and I think I ran in like 19 minutes in three miles, and that was a really good time for me, despite the fact the guy that won ran it in like 16-something. I don't know. Uh, but when I got done, I was happy with myself. My coach was not happy with me. He was actually angry with me because uh, he said, you know, you've been running races for a long time, and now I know you're, what you're capable of, okay? So um, I'm going to confess some stupidity here, Okay. So don't be shocked by that. But I'm going to confess some stupidity. I made it to regionals. We went to regionals. I went down to Leveland, Texas. And I had every intention of running this race and doing a good job running this race. And my best friend and I found a vending machine, yes, in 1998, a vending machine that still sold cigarettes in the hotel. So we bought a pack of cigarettes. And we went and sat out on the hill right there where this lake was outside of our hotel. And we sat there and smoked an entire pack of cigarettes that night. I came in 10th from last. And coach said, what's the deal? I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him what the deal was. I'll tell you what the deal was, okay? And, and there's a reason I'm telling you about my stupidity, okay? Because... We can look at a situation like that and go, yeah, you're dumb. <laughs> that was really dumb. Why would you do that? But you know what? We as adults do the same thing. Okay, maybe not with cigarettes, but here's what we do. We know we have to run a race. We see a difficulty coming up on the way. And you know what we do? We make a bunch of really bad choices and weaken ourselves before we go run that race. That's what I did. I just, I killed my lungs <laughs> that night before. I, and I tried to run hard. And I was back there going, <laughs> And watching everybody. But we do that, don't we? We know the difficulty's coming. We see it out there on the horizon. And then we make all these choices and we make ourselves weak. And you know what some of those choices are? We don't seek God. We're seeking other things. We're too busy wrapped up in everything this world has to offer. We're too busy trying to make money. We're too busy trying to seek recreation and do all these other things. And then all of a sudden the race is here and we go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And guess where we come? We come in nearly dead last. Jesus knew the race. And he knew this. This is going to be an endurance race. You know what he did? He got ready. He got ready to run. I tell you, this is hard for me. Because being patient implies that I be patient with people. <laughs> and, and I tell you, this is a tough verse for me because I think all of us can identify certain people in our life that we've already decided we'll be patient with. 
You know what? I've, I never have trouble being patient with Murtis Jones. If I do, you tell me. I just never have trouble with that. You know why? Well, number one, she's my grandmother. But secondly, she's probably the meekest woman I've ever known in my life. It's just not hard for me to be patient with Murtis Jones. But then there's other people I've already decided in my mind, you get on my nerves and I'm not going to be patient with you. And here's what God's will says. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And that hurts. Because <laughs> I will tell you, I have not been very patient. I've not been very patient. You know, through this uh, medical thing that I've been dealing with, uh, she may not like me calling her out, but I'm going to tell you I'm thankful for Jessica sitting back there on the back row because I, have, I don't know absolutely nothing about medical billing or anything like that, and she has let us lean on her. And it's helped me be patient, I promise you that. Because my first inclination is to deal with it just like I would in a furniture store. I'm going to call these people, and I'm going to make them so uncomfortable, they're going to give me a discount. Well, is that what God wants me to do? I'll tell you, we hit some times where we really feel like it's okay for me to just let the, the leash loose right now on my patients and just sick them. You know what I mean? And God says, here's my will for you. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter the person. I want you to be patient with everybody. That was our Lord. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. That's patience, endurance, the race that is set before us. You got a race to run, and you can make a decision right now. Am I going to train for that race? Am I get ready for that race? Or am I just going to try to run and see how things go? And if that if that's what you do, and you don't get ready for the race, I'll tell you the race is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But here's what he says: Looking unto Jesus, the reason why I was able to run the race good once. And I ran a lot. I ran track and field. The sprints didn't bother me. It was the endurance races. I just had my mind set on the finish line that day. And that's what we've got to do in life. We've got to set our mind, our hearts, our focus on Jesus Christ. Because he ran the race. And he won the race. He endured the race. And he has been crowned. So as we close today, I want to think about Jesus preparing for the race. And here's what he says. For consider him. Consider him who endured. So let's think about Jesus. And here's the reason why he says to think about Jesus. So you don't quit running. Because I tell you, the easiest thing to do when you're in the midst of the race and the pain is getting very intense is to just walk off the track. And he says, think about Jesus. So I want to go back to our reading, and I appreciate the reading of the morning. Uh, and we're going to think about Jesus knowing that he's about to line up and get in the blocks, and he's about to run the race. What did Jesus do? 
The Bible says, and he, that's Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's four things I want to notice from this very short reading. And the first thing I want to notice is that when Jesus knew that the race was coming and difficulties were about to hit, he withdrew himself and he prayed. Is that what we do? Now, I will tell you, our tendency a lot of times in difficulty is to withdraw ourselves. That's not what's being commended here of Jesus. What's being commended is that Jesus withdrew himself to spend time with his Father in heaven. He wasn't just isolating himself. He was trying to get connected with God. He was seeking God. And something that's interesting about this is when Jesus did that, he prayed for God's will to be done. Now, this is strange. I think it's strange, okay? Jesus, at 12 years old, is in Jerusalem talking to the scholars, and he says, you know, here's, here's how it is. And they were just mind blown. And then his parents come, and his parents are like, where were you at? We're looking for you. And he says, don't you understand I have to be about my father's business? So 12 years old, Jesus knows my job is to submit myself to the will of God. But here in the garden, he's going, my will and your will right now, I understand are a little different. Isn't that strange? What did Jesus want in this moment? To not run the race. He didn't want to run. But he, but he was willing to run. That's patience. Patience is not, well, I've kind of negotiated the situation and I did what I wanted to. Patience is in the midst of agony and suffering and humiliation that I say, God, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to do what you want. So pray. But pray for God's will to be done. You ask and you receive not. James writes, because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James says, one of the reasons you're not getting what you're praying, what you're asking for, what you're praying for, is because you're not praying for the right things. You're being selfish with your prayers. You're asking for things that really are not good for you. We need to ask for God's will to be done. And trust God that he will give us what we need and give us good things. And here's the, another thing that I think is just mind-blowing, and that is that Jesus accepted help from others. And that may not seem very profound to you, uh, but I'll tell you it's very profound to me. And, uh, you know, I always say, ask my wife. She probably doesn't want you to ask her all this stuff, but, but you could ask her. She knows this. I'm a very stubborn person. And when I'm going through a difficulty, I'll tell you one of the hardest things for me to do is to ask for help. I don't know why. Uh, I'm sure it's pride. And I think it's that way with most of us. We don't want to ask for help. We go, no, I got it. I'll get through it. But here's the Son of God who created the heavens and earth, who can do all things, and God sends an angel to him. And my question is, why did God send the angel? 
And I'll tell you why God sent the angel. Because Jesus needed the angel. That's why God sent the angel. If Jesus needed help from others and accepted help from others, why should we think we don't need help? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's not a bumper sticker. That is what Christianity is all about. It's not just about carrying your cross. Sometimes it's about letting someone carry your cross for just a while. Jesus had to do that himself. Jesus willingly took up his cross, but he couldn't walk to Calvary. He didn't have the strength. Someone else helped him carry that cross. Didn't take away Jesus' responsibility. It didn't take away what he was trying to accomplish, but he had to have help in those moments. And we need help, and we need to accept help when help comes. Two are better than one, Solomon says, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'll tell you, Jesus was feeling this in the garden. And I'll tell you, maybe the angel wouldn't have come if the disciples had been able to stay awake and watch and pray. There's a reason why Jesus kept going back there and saying, Why are you sleeping? Do you not understand what's happening right now? They were tired, and he said, sleep, sleep on. He needed them. And I tell you, there's not a worse feeling when you're going through something difficult than feeling like nobody cares or that you're all alone. But I'm going to tell you, people care. They care. And sometimes our problem is we want to shut those people out. The last thing I want to notice that Jesus did in the garden is as his feelings intensified, so did his prayers. The Bible says he began to sweat as it were great drops of blood. And in that moment, it says that he prayed more earnestly. Now I want to see the common theme here. How did Jesus prepare for the race? Because all of his attention was on God. That's how he got through. I want to close uh, by thinking about David for just a moment. I'm talking about King David. Uh, <clears throat> King David did everything he could not to kill his enemy. His enemy at the time was Saul. And Saul was an evil man, and he had very, a very evil heart, and he had very evil intentions toward David. He wanted David's life to the point where he became a lunatic. The man was a madman. And eventually that drove David... And 600 of his men over to the house of King Achish. Now, understand who King Achish is. King Achish is the king of the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. And David goes there and he seeks refuge in the house of King Achish. And 
him and Achish become friends, and Achish begins to trust David, and he begins to be blessed because of David's presence there. And then a tough time happens. It's time for the Philistines to go out and go to war against Israel. And guess who lines up with the Philistines to go out to war against Israel? David and his 600 men. And so the princes of the Philistines, they look at King Achish and they go, um, do you not see a problem here? I mean, this is the guy that killed Goliath. This is their champion. Um, no, this guy's not going with us. And Achish goes, look, this is David. I mean, don't you know David? I trust David. And they said, we're not going with him. So Achish goes to David and he says, look, uh, they don't want you. They don't want you going. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I tried, but you know, you know I still trust you, but, but they don't trust you, so... You're going to have to just leave. And so, so David gets his 600 men and he goes back home, uh, his new home in a town called Ziklag. And he gets there and the Amalekites have come in. And while David and his men were riding off to war, the Amalekites came in and they burned their city. And they stole their wives and they stole their sons and their daughters. And the Bible says that David's men wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever been there? You ever just cried until you just were out of tears? You just all dried up. And then you know what they did? They said, you know what? This is your fault, David. This is all your fault. Because if you hadn't led us here, this would have never happened. David has lost his home. He's living with heathens. He's been rejected by his best friend at the time. And now all of the men, the last people that were loyal to him in, in his life, knowing that his wives have just been taken by the Amalekites, David has nobody. He's got nobody. And these men start talking about stoning David because of what he's done. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Now listen to this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I want to leave you with this. No matter how alone you feel, you are never alone. And I tell you, it was hard for David. But David recognized something right here in this moment when life was at its toughest. And that is this. God is still on the throne. And God is in control. Friends, I hope there's something that will help you, that will encourage you today. We never like to end without offering the invitation of Jesus Christ. And those are not just words that we say, but literally Jesus awaits to bless you if you need him this morning and sometimes that's the help we need that we reject is the help of Jesus Christ if you're here today and you're not a child of God and you would like to become one we want to help you with that as well please come have a seat on the front pew as we stand and we sing the song that's been selected